Hey everyone, welcome back to Make It Happen Mondays, where we talk about sales, business, entrepreneurship, personal growth, mental health, and everything in between with guests who I truly respect and I think make a positive impact on the world around us. And you are in for a very interesting conversation right now with my friend Chris Shembra, who is the author of Gratitude and Pasta. He literally wrote the book on gratitude. And I was introduced to Chris through my business coach because one of my keynotes, one of the pillars on my keynotes is gratitude and the impact that it had on me and helping me get through tough times. And so I wanted to reach out to Chris and talk to him about the application of gratitude. We all know gratitude is a good thing, but there's a lot of science behind it and how much of an impact it can have on your lives, both personally and professionally. And his new book, Gratitude Through Hard Times, is exactly that. So we dive into his history and how gratitude saved him and how he applies it every single day to the people he works with and what a difference it makes. So I hope you get as much information out of this one as I did and it gets you to think a little bit about how gratitude can really impact you and help you get to that next level in your career. Let's make it happen. What's happening, Make It Happen family? Big shout out to our partners today, Gong, Proposify, Vidyard, and Chili Piper. Gong's data is more than valuable. It's cornerstone in any organization looking to collect the data that's going to tell them where they can improve and where they need to spend their time making changes. Proposify is one of my favorite teams of all time. What they do is they make the proposal and contract processes easy for the sender and the recipient. And who can't benefit from that being a great experience, right? Vidyard makes it easy for people to use videos anywhere. No matter whether you're sending videos in email or on social media, posting them somewhere, or sending them in a DM, Vidyard has got you covered. Our friends at Chili Piper are so much fun to be around. They make it easy for people to get on your calendar. And every sales rep has got to have this function locked in. It's one of the most important things we can do as a seller. How can I get you on my calendar easily? Chili Piper can make that happen for you. Be sure that you're checking out all these great tools. And now let's pass it over to John to find out who's joining him today. See you soon, everybody. Hey, Chris, thanks for coming on Make It Happen, man. Appreciate you uh, spending the time here. And I'm really excited about this conversation. John, I honored to participate and I got to meet one of my country music uh, idols as a kid before the call and David, and I'm so excited to be here. What a great start. Yeah, this is one of those kind of the universe aligns, one of those things, right? Because uh, as many of my listeners know that I've been on a journey for the past year and a half. Dad passed away about a year and a half ago and was kind of ebbing and flowing and trying to figure things out and got recentered recently, got some more clarity. And now I'm working on a keynote and some executive retreat stuff. But one of the things I realized um, was how important gratitude was for me through that whole process and getting me through it. Um, but also some of the companies that I was looking at uh, from a gratitude standpoint and how they practice it and the ones that came through stronger. And mm-hmm. you have you have a couple of books. You have one coming out tomorrow, right? You said tomorrow. Is it? You yeah. That? And and it's it's the others. It's the other piece, but walk us through a little bit for the audience that doesn't know you, you know, walk us through your journey. Cause you've had an interesting one. I mean, you went from, mm-hmm. was a theater producer, things are going great. You were in New York city and then shit hit the fan and it was just like, eh. and you started kind of unpacking a lot of different things. So could you just walk us through that to set the stage for this conversation of, of the importance of gratitude? And like you said previously, before even getting on here, not the fluffy parts of gratitude, but yeah. like the real concrete components of gratitude. Walk us through that journey a little bit there, if you don't mind. Thank you, John. Can I ask you a question first? Please do. Yeah. What was your dad's name? John. I wasn't a junior, but uh, but, uh, but he didn't want to give me his shitty middle name. So, <laughs> if you could give credit or thanks to Big John in mm-hmm. a way that you've never thought to thank him mm-hmm. right now, what would you say to him? Oh man, I've said a lot to him over the past year and a half. Um, I think it it was you know for for whether I knew it or not, given me. Um, the support and uh, the the vision of what even even people who aren't overtly you know thankful or overtly affectionate um, giving me a guideline to see what being a real man is all about and, and how it's not just about work it's not just about it's about family and everything else I mean he gave me really concrete 
example to follow. Uh, even though a lot of times I didn't think he was the most affectionate person on the planet, we didn't go as deep as we as I would have liked to in our relationship. But I had a really good a, a relationship with him, and I believe that a lot of my characteristics of what make me a a good father, husband, and everything else today are directly related to him, whether they be uh, subconscious or conscious. Family, fatherhood, being a good person. Sounds like he was a great man. He was. Absolutely, he was. <sighs> My father is boarding a plane in five minutes mm-hmm. to fly up for my book launch from South Carolina. And this is a man that we almost lost to COVID. And the second time he was in the hospital was what inspired me to start writing my new book. That line, mm-hmm. I remember sitting at his hospital bed in early 2021 thinking, I got, I got more to write. And uh, the fact that he's got bad balance, needs a wheelchair at the airport, he's going to come up and land at LaGuardia Airport, and he's going to be here for a wonderful celebration tomorrow. Uh, it means the world to me, and I, I probably don't mm-hmm. probably don't thank him enough. Um, yeah. So thank you for leading with that. His name's yeah. Phil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Phil. Phil, John, John, Chris. They call him <laughs> Phil and me refill. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Oh, it sounds um, like he's a good man. He's a good man. He's uh I definitely don't give him enough credit or thanks. I think mm. I used to. But mm. uh, you know, once the son thinks his britches are too big, maybe they, <laughs> they they start forgetting about the the value and the benefits they've received from others, and that's one of my detriments. Yeah, I think that's up for all of us, right? It's like the people, we almost take for granted a lot of the good people in our lives because we always think they're going to be there. One, some Somebody said this recently that, that really struck me was that, you know, they asked about how many times, how many how old is your mom, right? And uh, at the time, the person said, you know, she's 70. He's like, so, okay, so let's assume she's going to live till 85, okay? So how many, how much time do you have left with her? And they said, well, I got 15 years. And they said, well, let's pat, let's, let's reverse that. How, how often do you see her every, every year? And he's like, mm. well, probably twice a year, once for the holidays and once, you know, intermittently. He's like, and how many days do you spend with her each time you go out and see her? And he was like, you know, four days, maybe each, right? So let's, let's round it up to 10. He goes, so 15, uh, you really only have 150 days left with your mom. Uh, yeah, and when he said God. that, I was like, holy shit, it reframed my entire perspective. It's like, wait a minute, I don't have 15 years left with my mom. I have literally 15 days left. With, I have 15, you know, 100 meaningful conversations left with my mom. And then so once you start tracking it that way, you start putting things in a much different perspective of gratitude and, and outreach and everything else. So it was, it was a powerful way to express uh, the time we don't have left with the people that we love. It's a wonderful reframe in life is that, you know, we've been we've been told for the last 30 or 40 years, uh, you know, abundance and self-help and you can do anything you want and you can quit your nine to five to pursue a life of passion and in infinite possibilities and all these things. But, but the truth is life is finite. And the more that you can remember that, the more you can learn to appreciate it. You know, the ancient yeah. Stoics had a term called memento mori. They would meditate on death every day in order to remind themselves of the things that they need to do while on this earth, mm-hmm. right? And, and to know that life is finite. And, and there's such yeah. a, a great blessing that comes in finitude. Yeah, absolutely. So, so unpack that journey for you, uh, the gratitude yeah. where, and how it helped you. So <clears throat> first of all, when, when people on this program see me, the – gratitude guru and the gratitude guy yeah. blah blah blah, yeah. blah i'm the least grateful person you're ever going to meet probably <laughs> no shit you know i'm one of those typical you know guys who suck at whatever you know they're trying to teach to others so i'm not perfect you shouldn't yeah. listen to a word i'm about to say no but um i gratitude first came into my life in really about july of 2015 um if you if, if you looked at my life then, uh, you would have seen a guy whose life looked good on paper, right? I was in a different career path. I was running a company. I had peers that respected us. I had friends. I had family. I had great things. And so it all looked good. 
Um, I just come back from Italy, actually producing a Broadway play over there. And when I got back home to New York, though, I realized, God, I'm a fraud. I feel like a piece of shit on the inside. <laughs> like it's all a facade, right? I mean, like Italy woke me up. It, it was it was intoxicating. They lived La Dolce Vita. They slowed down. They ate together. They honored history. They watched the sunset. It was a very uh, alluring type of life. And I, when I got back here to New York City, I said, God, this ain't it. I, I was lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, insecure, nervous, cautious, anxious, overwhelmed. I, I was in a weird place when I realized that my life looked two completely separate ways, what the world saw or what I felt on the inside. And that was a bad place for me to realize that. I mean, last time I had felt those all those things at once, uh, the feeling of not, not really being seen, mm-hmm. faking it, uh, was in my early 20s. You know, it took me down a deep, dark path of non-suicidal self-injury, jail, rehab, depression, all that kind of jazz. So I didn't want to go back. I thought, what was it about this Italy thing that changed my perspective on everything? And I realized it's how they approach community. It's how they approach connection. It's how they approach just eating and drinking and talking together. And I said, I got to do this here in New York, this right, this, this wealthy nation that has a poverty of the soul. Yeah. And can I ask real quick? Yeah. Just was it? Was it an epiphany where you like on, or was it a slow realization as you were headed back so, and the feelings of Italy kind of faded and you found yourself in your, I think, what, what was your like 350 square foot? 350 area? square foot studio yeah, apartment yeah. at the time. Yeah. So I, was it, it, was it like a light bulb went off or was it like as the allure of Italy kind of waned, you were like, wait a minute, I'm left so, with a bag of shit here. So a combination of both, you know, you can, you can see something. You can see something in your life months in advance that needs worked on, yet you don't mm-hmm. listen to your gut and it lies yeah. dormant and yep. it runs amok. Yep. So I, I there was something there. And then I was sitting in the car in Rome with my drive privilege to have done some, you know, good things and I had a driver and I had, you know, all those things. So I'd started a relationship. The driver's daughter was the executive assistant of a very powerful man in Rome who had really invited us to Rome to start this whole journey. And I said, does she like working for this powerful man? And he said, in a very dramatic Roman type of fashion, you know, she's wasting her life living out the dreams of another man. Mm. It's not what she wants to do. She's living out the dreams of this man. And Mm. I sat there and I'm like, holy shit. Everything I've built, everything I dedicate my time and life and energy to doing is the dreams of another. I have my own things that I need to work on. First of all, myself. And so back in New York, I was like, I got to do something about this. What was it about Rome? Well, again, it's how they ate and how they ate amongst communities. So the least common denominator was to invent a pasta sauce recipe and start hosting dinner parties like we <laughs> consumed in Rome. And it sounds so silly. It's so, yeah. so silly and simple to say that, but I invented a pasta sauce recipe. I figured I should probably feed it to people to see if it was good or not. I yeah. started hosting dinner parties. This was July of 2015. And every week, strangers would come into my home and we work together to create the meal. We serve each other. We drink a ton of wine. We eat some decent pasta sauce. And I'd ask a couple really poignant questions. And these questions would get people to open up and share the most authentic stories they'd ever experienced in their life. And that main question that we settled upon that worked every single time was a question around gratitude. And when I realized the importance that that question had in small group format, I said, this is my, this is the topic that I'm going to dedicate the next few years of my life to studying. 
I dropped out of theater. And I started focusing in on the dinner table. And I started focusing in on the principles of gratitude. See, at that very first dinner, we asked a simple question. John, it wasn't anything extraordinary. If, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to that <laughs> you've never thought to thank, now who would that be? And people sat with that question at our dinner table and said, oh man, you see that? That's physiological. <sighs> who have I never thought to thank? My God. I've never thought to thank my wife who's sitting next to me. I've never th thought to thank my dad who just passed away. I've never thought to thank my third grade teacher who bought me my first pair of shoes. Mm -hmm. I never thought to thank my, my ex-bad boss <laughs> who made me realize what kind of a leader I didn't want to be. I never thought to thank my ex-girlfriend who made me realize I was gay. All these are made-up stories, but I'm just saying the stories yeah. were amazing. Yeah. And that started to save my life. Johan Hari is a man who gave a wonderful TED Talk who once said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's human connection. That's when we could bring people together and strip away all the hierarchy and get them to make peanut butter and pasta sauce together and share in some conversations, you'd really get to know the truth about people. Can can we pin a, put a pin on the uh, the loneliness factor, right? Because one of the things you brought up it blew my mind in your book. It's it's uh, loneliness is like smoking fifteen cigarettes a day, and it's more dangerous than stress. It's more dangerous than all that stuff. Like I mean, that's a pretty vivid image of what loneliness does. And and what I wanted to ask is. You know, you hear it all the time in this socially connected world and everybody's so connected to so many people that we're more lonely than ever. Do you think mm -hmm. loneliness itself is an epidemic right now? Um, mm -hmm. And and could you talk about what you've learned about how harmful and, and what loneliness means? It doesn't mean you're necessarily alone. Could you could you help us understand that a little bit more? Totally. And by the way, I think this epidemic started like hundreds of years ago. And I blame okay. some little guy named Rene Descartes. <laughs> Please explain. Descartes, Descartes is an ancient motherfucker who fucked us all. Okay. <laughs> he said a very simple sentence one day, ergo cognito sum. I think, therefore I am. Hmm. Do you know how yep. dangerous that actually is throughout the history of humanity? See, human beings are innately tribal, empathetic, hmm connected creatures. We need each other. If you look 50,000 years ago, if you didn't know how to interrelate with others, you were kicked out of the tribe and you died. You got eaten by an elephant or something. I don't know. Elephants don't eat people, but you just, you died. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there's, there, there's, there's this, there's this wiring in our DNA, homo empathicus, that like, mm -hmm. I want to get along with you, not only for survival, but because of it's just like a general human thing to do. So the minute that you do the polar opposite of that and say, I think therefore I am, the only thing I really need to focus in on is my individual thought and my individual dreams and my individual consciousness, you rob community from occurring. You start mm -hmm. creating ego. You start creating all these things. And I think that's been very detrimental to society is that people really believe that they don't need others to get to where they are today, that they are the smartest person in the room, mm -hmm. like they don't need to continually learn. And these are all bad things. I think Obama, you know, Obama said that a while back where he was just, I, and he got eviscerated for it. And I don't like to get political, but I'm just saying what he said. You know, he said, you know, if you're super rich, if you're really successful, you didn't get here by yourself, right? There were people yeah. who made the roads for you to drive on. There were people who, yeah. you know, did this. So you might have been a solo person that built your company potentially by yourself, but everything that took you to get there. And I remember he just got. But I even challenged what you. That. I even just oh, challenged no, the what building, you just the said. building, you need yeah. other people without question. But yeah. in general, he got shredded for it because he was like, are you out of your mind? You know, I'm, I, I earned this. And I, it's like, whoa, 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 back up here, pal. Like, you, yes, you earned, you might have earned it, but that doesn't mean you didn't, you earned it yourself. That, 
That is the plague of the ungrateful man. Yeah. When you think that you've done everything yourself and you do not appreciate the benefits or the value that you've received from others, you are an ungrateful man. In the ancient language of Tamil, which is in South India, in the ancient culture of Tamil, which is in South India and in different places around the uh, East Asia, Nandri Ketanai is the worst thing you could be called in the world. That means a gratitude lacking dog. Oh, yeah. Seneca, Seneca the Elder, Lucius Annius Seneca, some ancient motherfucker from 63 AD, once said that ingratitude or the ungrateful man is what's caused homicides and tyrants and liars and thievery and adulterers. There's nothing worse in humanity than the ungrateful man who can't appreciate the benefits they've received in the world. So how does this compare to, and I totally agree, um, but how does this compare to the, I think it's related, love yourself before you can love somebody else, right? So the idea that we are important, right? Like I think therefore I am, is I agree with you. It's like, you know, no, we are a community, we are tribal, but then there's the, you know, the giving factor of love and how you can't truly give love unless you love yourself. So how do those two Mm -hmm. marry each other? One of the sentences you said is, I think, therefore I am. The other things that you're talking about is giving love to yourself. You need to learn how to show yourself self-compassion which I suck at it. I suck at cultivating <laughs> self-compassion. I yep. suck at giving myself gratitude. Yep. Take the thinking out of it. right? Maya Angelou is a great poet, artist, activist, Nobel laureate, and she says, people won't remember what you did. They won't remember what you said, but they'll always rem- remember how you made them feel. The same yep. applies to you. The way you treat yourself and your feelings will outlast the way you think or, you know, the, any of the stuff that comes out through the head, you know, mm-hmm. we, we got to get into the heart. Um, when, you know, whether it's in a business context or a professional mm-hmm. setting, when you can connect with the heart or lead with the heart or actually invest in your heart, you're going to solve a lot of really, really, really good things. You know, Robert Waldinger is, uh, the director of, a Uh, 80-year longitudinal study at Harvard on the study of happiness. Mm -hmm. And one of the most classic things he found, um, the main thing that determines the quality of of one's life and the length that one can live is the quality of your relationships. Not the quality of your thoughts, Mm -hmm. not your ability to express your thoughts freely or clearly or accurately to an audience, but the actual ability to connect on an intimate heart-to-heart basis with another person. That's what makes you live longer. And that's kind of the opposite of loneliness. What's up, everybody? I know you're enjoying this conversation. John does a great job with genuine curiosity on these episodes, and our guests consistently bring the heat. We want to take a moment here and let you know that you've got an opportunity, an opportunity to become better than you were yesterday. And you can do so by gaining access to all of JB Sales content. All of their training tips, techniques, tactics, and takeaways can be yours for $1 a day. $365 for the year gets you annual access to everything, including our private Slack channel for members only, which you get access to all of us directly 100% of the time, 24 hours a day. And then at the same time, you're going to get access to our bi-weekly Ask Me Anything sessions where you can bring real deals to the table and get the help that you need where you need it. This is very, very important. Sales reps that invest in themselves are often found at the tops of their leaderboards. Join us today and get the help you need to become the seller that you deserve to be. That URL, one more time, is joinjbsales.com. Let's get back to the show with JB and our guest for this week. So define loneliness for me, because the, again, mm. loneliness could, some people could think of it as I'm by myself and nobody will go out to dinner or drinks with me, right? So therefore I'm lo- I don't have a significant other, so therefore I am lonely. But I, there are plenty of people who are perfectly okay without being you know, engaged mm-hmm. or married or any of that stuff. So could you help us define loneliness in this, in this construct here? There's a chapter in my first book that, that- Part of this is quoted in, and then we turn it into a couple paragraphs in my new book that comes out tomorrow. It's a simple sentence. You don't have to be alone to be lonely. 
What I mean by that is you could be surrounded by hundreds of thousands of amazing people like you and I, mm -hmm. yet you could feel like the loneliest person on the planet if you don't feel authentically seen and heard and a genuine sense of belonging. Loneliness to me occurs when you think that you have far more indifference than you have in common with even yourself or one person or 100,000 people. Hmm. The scale of the number of people in this equation is relative. Mm -hmm. But the feeling that comes when you don't think that you see yourself or that you don't think that others see you or appreciate you or honor you or understand you. Um, it's like the worst feeling in the world. And unfortunately what happens is that in wealthy nations, such as the United States of America, uh, this problem is amplified. Mother Teresa calls it the, gr the great poverty of the soul that afflicts the nation of wealthy. And she says that it's the greatest poverty she's seen in the history of the world. You know, Thomas, Thomas Jainer, Thomas Joyner, I, I, I won't be able to quickly be able to, uh, to quote it in my new book. Your success may even be making you, yeah, even the most socially connected and successful leaders feel pretty isolated today. Some of you have vast networks and a strong digital presence and mm -hmm. still feel a lack of emotional connection. Even your long-term relationships may lack the depth of authentic intimacy. You don't have to be alone to be lonely. Your success may even be making you lonelier. According to Thomas Joyner, author of Lonely at the Top, people often neglect so close social relations in favor of focusing on goals associated with making it big. But with so many opportunities for surface level connection and little else, most of society is suffering from a lack of connection. You've convinced yourself that because you have a ton of followers on LinkedIn, contacts in your phone, and people on your team, you feel a genuine sense of connection. In reality, though, you probably don't know that much about most of the people in your network. You don't know the adversity they've experienced. You don't know what brings them authentic and genuine joy. You don't know about how they feel. It's like they're hiding in plain sight. Hmm. This is the world that we live in. Yeah, it's funny, you know, tactical thing here. So I'm, I've been on LinkedIn forever. I got, you know, give or take 400,000 connections, but yeah. I, I, I've reached the 30,000 connection limit, right? And so now I can't accept any more invitations. And the the, the reason that LinkedIn gives that 30,000 arbitrary number is because, well, we want to make sure that, you know, you're using LinkedIn for meaningful relationships. And I'm like... <laughs> Wait a minute. If it was that, then then it would be twenty would 10. be the cap. Yeah, yeah, ten yeah. would be the cap, not thirty thousand. Don't tell me I need to, I, I can be having a relationship with thirty thousand people. Come on, right? Come so on. obviously, quality over quantity. Um, and and it's funny that you bring up entrepreneurs and quote unquote successful people and how some of their their some of the most lonely people. I had a, a conversation recently with somebody who who talks about imposter syndrome and, and those type of things. And where does it come from? And what was interesting was, was she said that it, it comes from the fact that you are successful in the sense that every time you reach another level, right, you've never been there before. So you, you are automatically an imposter because so that's where that comes from. So yeah. a lot of these traits are from what seemingly from the outside are successful people. Is there a commonality to that, though, that you found in, in your talking with people and having these dinners that it's not it's not just the fact that they were successful, but it was something else. There were some other characteristics that drove them to that, that peak, but also that, that level of loneliness. This is going to be a very biased answer because a lot of the people that we've served around our dinner table have either opted into coming yeah. or I've personally known or a client has invited for a very specific reason. They would enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. And so usually you don't sign up to coming to one of our virtual or in-person experiences without seeing the description and being like, 
I'll opt into going to that. Yeah. You know, um, so that's the that's the for for the scientists out there, that's the yeah. that's the 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 Caveat, the, yeah. the thing that I gotta say. Um first of all, um it's my belief that you have to be able to um label and not ignore the authentic emotion you're feeling in order to label it as loneliness. Hmm. I, I do believe that there's a vast amount of people on this planet who don't even have the education of labeling their emotion. Hmm. Like they feel something, but they're like, I don't know what this is. I don't know what the, f- the five letter word to describe it. So I'm just going to kind of pretend that it doesn't exist. So I don't know if you can consider them lonely people because they don't know what the word is. Mm, okay. And and so that in itself is a barrier mm-hmm. to addressing this issue. Um, the second thing that, that comes up is fear. Um, so I think that um, you have to be able to be pretty brave or courageous, even if it's in the moment for the first time, to acknowledge that you feel lonely, to acknowledge that you feel shame or regret or some kind of authentic negative emotion, right? You have to have, you know, if you're fearful of displaying that vulnerability, you're getting it over it in the moment. So the people who come to our dinner table or to our virtual experiences and communicate about this loneliness or, or overwhelm or anxiety, they're establishing bravery in the moment. And so that's a big, big, big thing mm-hmm. is to go against a hundred year history that says, vulnerability is a weakness. You're not a man if you're vulnerable. And then just be vulnerable with a group of strangers, virtually or otherwise, requires courage and bravery. And so I I think that's a tremendous quality that a lot of these people, um, you know, have to have in order to Mm -hmm. acknowledge that they're lonely. So with that, talk before we jump into kind of some of the details, talk to me about some of the research you've done like factual research oriented mm-hmm. things about the importance of gratitude as far as people living longer or whatever it is. What are some of the ones that you've been like, when you were reading it, you were like, this isn't subjective. Like this is real shit here yeah. and we should pay attention to it. I'll bring up two brief studies. Um, so um, the people um, that are watching this, you know that you know, I invented pasta sauce. I started hosting dinner parties. Companies started hiring us. We we're having a really good time. And then, and I, we wrote a book, Gratitude and Pasta, about all the intuitive things that we learned around the dinner table. And we were coming out with it at April 7th, 2020, and the pandemic hit. And I said, oh shit, the pandemic just literally ripped away my pasta sauce. What are we going to do now? So we pivoted to virtual and we were able to start producing these virtual gratitude experiences that were there for people at in the darkest hours of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, the pandemic hit, but you still had mothers dying, people getting cancer, people getting divorces, like life was still happening. <laughs> and so when we pivoted, we were able to... Uh, find um, this uh, wonderful research assistant who came on board full-time and just started feeding scientific studies and like like neuroscience and positive psychology and all these different topics. And so then we became um, able to not just um, link our intuition with gratitude, but actually link like science and psychology with gratitude. It's been a wonderful thing. And two of the studies that I'll mention, um, the first is just a quick kind of positive thing. It's um, Marty Seligman is the founder of the positive psychology movement. And I won't go into what the movement is, but what he found is that he did a series of micro interventions with a couple hundred people and studied the impact of these micro interventions Um, Some of them were journaling interventions. Some of them were empathy interventions. Some of them were connection interventions. The number one micro-intervention that had a lasting long-term impact after the study was the gratitude visit. Hmm. 
So he was actually studying people writing or, or talking um, out actions of gratitude and hand delivering a letter or going and giving gratitude in person to someone. And what he found in those studies is that gratitude had the most impact of all the positive psychology micro-interventions, and it had the longest impact. It, it had the impact up to a month after the study. That, that's like a pretty cool thing. Yeah. So that was really powerful to learn that we had accidentally stumbled into one of the most meaningful things that you could become an expert at to create positive transformation. And Marty Seligman just proved that. The second study that was really impactful for us actually came out of Eastern Washington University. Uh, it was a researcher named Philip Watkins. And the title of his study was called The Grateful Processing. And what he went out to prove, he, he didn't address like the positive memory recall of gratitude. Like, I'm grateful that my dad drove me to soccer practice. That's a happy memory. Yay. But he went for the negative. And that's the stuff that I really care about. So he did a study of a couple hundred people where there was a control group and two variables. He asked the control group to just, I don't know, write for an extended period of time around just anything in their life. That was the control. The first variable group was write down about a negative autobiographical experience from your past. The, th the second variable, the third group, was write about a negative experience from your past, find the positive benefits in it, give gratitude to it, and make it part of your story. Of the three, obviously the control was the control. The first variable did pretty good because he got them to write about a negative autobiographical experience, which takes an unprocessed, chaotic memory that's roaming around in your head, and they got to write it out, formulating a narrative around it, help you process it, help you close it, destigmatize the negative impact it has over you. So that group did pretty good. But the third group, they did that, and then they looked at it, and they found positive benefits from that negative autobiographical experience, and they got to give gratitude to it. And that was woo, so impactful in this study, and we've been running to the cleaners ever since. And I'll give you a real-world example of this. Yeah. So I'm going to relate this back to my story. And I want to warn people that there might be some triggers that I'm about to share. This is my story. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, woohoo, go to Rome, realize I feel like shit, invent pasta sauce, COVID happens, pivot to virtual gratitude experiences. I'm on top of the world, at least I tell myself. Uh, we got all these virtual clients and we're making all this impact. We're doing all these things and all these coaches are telling us how to scale. And boom, 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 boom. 4.30 p.m., December 30th, 2021. I'm on a phone call, a Zoom call with one of my clients, Lisa Penn from SAP, dear friend. And she says, 30 minutes in, she says, you know, Chris, you don't look so hot. You should go take a nap. I'm like, yo, no clients ever said that to me before. <laughs> okay. So we hung up the call. My partner Molly and I go out to dinner that night. We just bought a home. She just started a new job. She was flying home the next day to Detroit to go be with her family. So we go out to dinner that night and celebrate. The drinks are flowing. Everybody's sitting around. All this is happening. The class Azul is flowing. And all of a sudden, I say some stupid thing. And I start a fight. Not physical. I start a verbal altercation with my girlfriend. And I say some hurtful things. I get home and feel like the biggest piece of shit in the world. I was misunderstood. I wasn't seen. I did mean things. My whole life's fallen apart. I took out a kitchen knife and went slam right across the arm. And I engaged in what is known as non-suicidal self-injury. Folks, 
I don't have suicidal ideation. I, w- I do not want to end my life. But what that was, was a cry for help, a scream out in pain. And in the days that followed that, I would just, I mean, I just picking up the pieces, right? I would walk around my apartment. I would, I would watch a movie. I would watch a Nancy Myers movie and cry my eyes out. <laughs> I'd look at a fucking lemon. I'd look at a lemon on my counter and I would cry. I'd look at my books. I'd cry. I'd call my family. I would cry. And I'd call my best friend, Scott. And Scott said, you know what the problem was, Chris? You just got so many things going on in your life. You couldn't see through the clearing in the forest. You appreciating none of it. I said, holy crap. Scott's right. See, instead of waking up and actually appreciating the overwhelming good I have in my life and helping things go right, maybe focusing on uh, fixing a couple of the bad things, that would be gratitude. I woke up every day focusing in on fixing, fixing, fixing what I didn't have, what was broken, what I wanted, blah, 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 and spent no time appreciating the good. That is gratitude versus ingratitude. And people even back 2,000 years ago called ingratitude one of the greatest plagues known to man. You said a friend kind of brought it up to you and said you're, you know, and, and that was your epiphany to say, looking back on it, because I, what I usually try to do myself is I'll find myself in a situation that works out, you know, for however it worked out. And I'll try to reverse engineer what happened to get to me to this point so that I can maybe give some advice along the way to others so they can maybe skip a few steps. If there's somebody out there right now, like questioning, like, I, I think I'm pretty grateful, you know, but, but am I, what's a, what's a, is there something that you can go through or just a way to realize the, your level of, of true gratitude versus what you perceive as gratitude is? Ask yourself, when's the last time you were grateful for yourself? And I know that sounds like an easy answer, but listen to these statistics. I've asked a simple, and by the way, this is going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loop this all the way back around to the finding positive benefits, giving gratitude to it part. I just wanted to tell the story for it. Um, If people in the last seven years, I've asked our signature gratitude question Mm -hmm. to a lot of people, right? If you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, who would that be? Who have you never thought to thank? Uh, 99.8% of the people have said, their mother, their dog, their teacher, a stranger, a friend, a God, a Donald Trump, Joe Biden, whatever. You know how many people actually say themselves? <laughs> Very few. Fucking hell. Doesn't that, doesn't that conflict a little with the ego piece there that you were talking about as far as how no, ego is up here? That's the thinking part. The, thing, yeah. the heart part. To be grateful. For what you bring emotionally into this world, you can give gratitude to that. I don't want to be grateful. Uh, talk about the difference between like the thinking and the feeling. I don't want to be grateful that my original thoughts helped me build a company. Mm-hmm. No, I want to be grateful that I was courageous enough to share my authentic story and underlining vulnerabilities and it, it helped me connect with others. Gotcha. Like that's what I'm grateful for. And I don't give myself enough credit. See, in that non-suicidal self-injury episode, when I couldn't see the clearing through the forest, I didn't believe a word anybody was saying. The more times people would call in with congratulations or you're doing so well or you've made such an impact, the more I'd say, those people are liars. If they actually knew me, they wouldn't say it. So I had no gratitude, no self-compassion. And the unfortunate truth is I don't have an answer to your question. I don't know how to hack that thing. It took me going to the depths of despair to maintain that perspective. See, my friend Sarah Fern came on my podcast the other day and said, you can't know gratitude without knowing pain. Yeah, that's true. 
if you don't know pain, if you don't know suffering, how can you feel grateful? And so it took me getting into that moment in order to realize I did not have gratitude. And I wish there was a cheat code to it. But I don't think I'm the guy who's here to give people cheat codes. Right. Uh, it's, it's uh, you know, at least with my personal story, there was no cheat code. No. But you know what and happened in the, in the days after? I'm not talking about months. Yeah. Right? It, I, I don't want to give a cheat code so that bad things don't happen to you. Right. I want to give the cheat code so that when the bad things do happen, you know quickly how to process them. Yeah. I don't know how to prevent the bad shit. I just know how to help you respond to it. And so in that moment, in those days after, I look back at the non-suicidal self-injury episode and said, did it teach me empathy? Yes. Did it teach me appreciation? Yes. Did it give me a positive self-view? Yes. Did it give me self-efficacy and self-confidence? Yes. Did it help me connect closer to my family? Yes. Did it help me connect closer to my community? Yes. Get this question. Did it give me material gain? Yes. In the days after my non-suicidal self-injury, the minute I started talking about that deep, dark episode, we had a record profit month and all our keynotes would then have that story. It helped mm. me connect better to the audience. I made more money. <laughs> so when you can yeah. say yes to all these things, you can look back at something that almost ended my life as one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. By far. It gave me the introduction of my book. <laughs> yes, I'd been stuck on that for 15 months. And that's, see, and that's for me, it's like, I, I try to deconstruct it too. So again, I, I don't think we all need to go through pain. We all need to learn our, on our own way, but maybe with a little bit of guidance, but there was two that very vividly stuck out to me. And for personally and professionally, it's one, when my first fiance broke up with me, cause I, you know, and I thought, Hey, this is what you're supposed to do. She broke it up with me and it was devastating for two days. But then I was like, Oh my God, this is the best thing that could ever happen to me. And then when I got fired mm -hmm. again, worst thing that, but then mm -hmm. it was the best thing. And so, you know, it definitely, I think there is that punch in the face moment we all need to have to, to get us to stop and think. And I'm, my hope is that COVID was part of that for a lot of people. Um, and so with, with that as a, you know, kind of a learning lesson for you, and even with, I mean, it sounds like you came out of COVID really strong. You did similar to me, like 90% of my revenue was ripped away from me because it was all on site. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now pivot, we're doing good things. And then you hit this next milestone here for yourself where you're just like, uh, so what, what's the new book? What's your learning about what you wrote today versus what you wrote a couple mm -hmm. of years back? Um, and how has it evolved about gratitude and the application of it? Yeah, it's, um, it's just, it's filled with a ton of stories. It's filled with a ton of science and psychology. Um, you know, the first book was written out of intuition. I mean, the first book, uh, you know, all 150 pages of it sopping wet was yeah. me telling my story of pasta sauce saving my life, me bringing it to the people. This is how you can do it on your own. The second book was, oh my God, we learned that whatever we've been up to for seven years is actually scientifically proven to be beneficial to others. Let me communicate that data, those stories, those research papers. Um, but look. 2020, 2021, kind of dark chapters in people's lives. Yeah. Um, you know, when we started hosting our virtual gratitude experiences, first, they were just for free for our community. And then second, they became, you know, for clients, um, you know, for their teams and, and clients. And we would ask similar data points at every virtual gratitude experience. This is across hundreds in the last two years with close to 40,000 attendees. We'd ask the same question at minute six. We would ask, what's one word that honestly described how you feel right now in the moment? And people would, and then put that one word in the group chat below. Mm -hmm. So people would start overwhelmed, nervous, cautious, tired, anxious, sad, lonely, some optimistic and happy and hopeful, but majority miserable. <laughs> miserable. 
whether it was because they were quarantining alone or it was because they were still busy on the road with travel, whatever. Right. It's just like if you actually ask a human being how they're doing, they'll likely say they're miserable. And if they're not, they might be lying to them, um, <laughs> lying to you. Anyways, there's a pretty pessimistic view of humanity, but it's we've got the data. Right. So then we'd work them through our virtual gratitude experiences. And towards the end, we'd ask them, what's one word that honestly describes how you feel right now that you just came back from the gratitude part of the experience? Grateful, connected, happy, joy, wiser, lighter, inspired, motivated. 99.998% of the people reported a positive emotional transformation. And we, when we realized across tens of thousands of data points that we were on to something, we said, we got to write a book about that, mm. how gratitude had been there for people during some of their darkest hours. I mean, we, we've had people come into our experiences that their kid died that day. Their kid was born that day. Jeez. A family, like everything, yeah. everything. And... They said that they showed up because they knew that, you know, gratitude might be able to help them through it. You know, we've had people who have been given our book, our new book, even just recently, given our book uh, in the middle of a divorce or separation. And uh, after reading it, two weeks later, you see photos of them, they're back together. So it's like, it, you know, it, it, it was able to, to help people find a lot of positive benefits through their darkest hour. And we'd be robbing them if we didn't write about it. I love that. I, you know, cause I, I went on a, a soldier, a Sedona soul adventures journey about, about a month and a half ago, or I went to Sedona, which is one of my favorite places on earth. And <clears throat> two things that were really um, relevant for this conversation. One um, was that, you know, I realized that people say everything happens for a reason. I think that's, I think that's a little disingenuous and especially for people who are going through real, real bad shit, right? It's like certain things didn't happen, but I do believe that if you look hard enough, you can find a silver lining to almost anything, right? That, that change of mm -hmm. state factor there. Right. So again, it's, it's your lens. Um, <clears throat> and, and also the thing that was actually holding me back from getting to that next level in my life and my career wasn't necessarily giving gratitude or giving thanks. It was actually receiving it. Um, because mm, I, you know, like yeah. a lot of us, I'm, oh, it's okay. You know, I'll, no worries, whatever that is. And I, and I almost diminish whatever I gave that person. And whenever they come back and are thankful for it, and what I realize is that that's actually robbing them of their happiness. So, oh, dude. Right. So, you're if so you, good. Well, I mean, and I want people to hear this because if you like, when, when you reach out and say, thank you, that took some effort for me to, to come to the point, like, Hey, uh, Chris, I really appreciate that. And when you diminish that, and like, I don't worry about it, dude. Like, you know, it's like, that actually takes away my happiness of giving you my thanks. And so now I'm trying to be extremely conscious in when somebody says thank you to just pause and say, you're welcome type of thing, just right? Feel it. Yeah. What's that? Be, 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 a, be good a good receiver. receiver. Yeah. There right. is... John, what you just talked about. So in the year 63 AD, Lucius Annius Seneca, also known as Seneca the Elder, a great elder statesman in, in Rome from 2,000 years ago, uh, he wrote a book called On Benefits. And in that book, lines five through seven state that the greatest plague to Roman society is that we neither know how to give nor receive a benefit. And that of all the vices common in today's society, Nothing is more common than ingratitude. So, by the way, this isn't a new thing. Throughout the history of humanity, people suck at receiving. Yeah. You know, uh, many can say it's a defense against intimacy. If I receive your good praises or if I receive a gift from you or if I receive your gratitude, I might feel like I owe you something. You know, I might feel like, uh, you know, it's I like would a have to be authentic. Factor there. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. There's so many, there's a whole chapter in our book about that. So yeah. I complete, look, gratitude feels good to, you know, we don't focus on the self-reflective side of gratitude. We focus on the pro-social nature of gratitude, especially when it's practiced in group format. So yep. in group format, gratitude feels good to give. Yep. 
Gratitude feels good to receive and gratitude feels good to observe. So the giving is great, which most people don't give gratitude because they fear the recipient won't value it and it will be perceived as a moment of awkwardness to even give it. And so a lot of gratitude is just not given just because of that. And then the receiving is what you just talked about of we have a defense against intimacy, we brush it off, we can't even value ourselves enough to be worthy of receiving praise or thanks or whatever. The observe part is interesting. And Sarah Algoe is a wonderful researcher out of the University of North Carolina who did a study called The Witnessing Effect. And what she found is that when I see John, who I don't know, when I see John give gratitude to someone who's like not here, mm-hmm. I'm more willing to be friends with John because I see John as a grateful individual. On the flip side, If I hear John giving gratitude to Beth, who's in the room, but I've never met Beth, I'm more willing to want to associate with Beth because I know that she did something at some point that was of benefit to John, and now John's thanking her. Therefore, Beth's probably a nice person. And so when when we, I mean, it's literally a chapter in our book called You Get What You Observe. A real world example of that is my friend Diana. Uh, Diana Lane Miller, uh, she is of Tamil, uh, South Indian, uh, descent and, but she was born in America, raised in America. And when she goes over to, uh, to her family weddings, she, uh, you know, she didn't grow up in the country, but she's still a cousin. And in, in Tamil culture, there's actually no word for gratitude. So they use the bestowing of titles and the kissing of the feet of the elders and bestowing honorific titles and all those kind of things. So her way of giving gratitude to her grandma at a wedding is to bend down and kiss her feet. Her cousins standing around them cry watching her give gratitude to her grandmother. She's not giving gratitude to the cousins and the cousins aren't giving gratitude to the grandma. They're crying by witnessing the power of gratitude. Mm. Yeah. It is a powerful thing once you really start to unpack it. Uh, I mean, I, I will say it got me through the past two years. I mean, starting my gratitude journal and and just being, and almost forcing positivity in a lot of ways, but also forcing the, the different lens, right? Because we could get so caught up in the negative that if you just sit down, beginning of the day, end of the day, write three or four things, uh, text somebody that you're you're thankful to be, you know, in your life, the, the difference that that makes, uh, is is real and i and i'm looking forward to reading your second book as far as some of those statistics um but we're running up here on time here so what, what's one thing i think that uh, that you'd like to leave the audience with that to think about a little bit more especially moving into this this kind of ever-evolving world of challenges that we're in right now any anything specific that you want people to leave people with here reflect on our question if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, that you've never thought to thank, who would that be? Think for a sec. Is this someone who's still with us? Is this someone who's long passed on? Is this someone who's sitting right next to you? Is someone who's sitting afar? What language would they receive this appreciation in the best? I mean, to quote Gary Chapman's five love languages, if you had to give gratitude to this person right now, would they best receive it as physical touch or words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, or a gift? Mm-hmm. Remember that not all gratitude given is gratitude heard. If you think about this person to which you'd like to go give gratitude to, think about how to give that gratitude in the language that they appreciate or receive the most. And if you do that, it will be the most authentic version of gratitude, I think known to mankind love it man all right well where 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 can we send people i know you got the book coming out where where can they find out more information about you about the book about uh, all the things you're working on right now i mean from a from a from a free perspective if you just go to google and type in chris shembra you'll either stumble upon our linkedin or which is where john and i connected um where this is being distributed 
or you'll stumble upon our column at Rolling Stone Magazine or Fast Company Magazine. Those are free articles in magazines that you can literally just read online. Mm -hmm. Um, From a paid perspective, yeah, definitely go to Amazon, type in Gratitude Through Hard Times, Chris Shembra. You can get the Kindle for 99 cents. I don't care. Um, you know, it's, no, it's, it's, uh, we, we specifically made the Kindle 99 cents. Cause there's, I mean, I, you know, I'm watching the numbers here, you know, we're selling our ebook launched this morning and we've sold 448, uh, ebooks since 9am to, awesome. you know, to people who don't want to pay $17 and 47 cents, just people, you know, doing it at 99 cents and, you know, that's going on for the whole week. And so Definitely, if you're watching this during launch week, uh, definitely would appreciate the Amazon review. But, you know, reach out. If there's one thing that you heard here today that you you agree with, act on it. Yeah. Go out there with bravery and courage and, and give this gratitude to, to the negative and the positive. And when you feel how that feels, feel free to reach us, you know, reach out and let us know how it feels. You know, I think... Uh, you know, I think there's some some neat things that can happen in your life when you apply the principles of gratitude. Absolutely, and I'm I'm I am a believer and practitioner of it myself more now than ever. Um, and I appreciate you coming on. And for people listening, it's Shembra S C H E M B R A. Google it. And also, don't you have? Isn't it seven forty seven? Um, yeah, it's two? seven four seven club dot org. Um, yep. Is, That's you know, if you our, want to our, run those our, dinners. Our corporate, like that, right? yeah. I mean, uh, you yeah. know, if you're a if you're a company, uh, and I say a company of all size, our clients are everything from Microsoft, Google, IBM, Dell, Citibank, uh, the United States government, you name it, all the way down to a twenty person doctor's office. But if you've got a team of people that you, as an empathetic leader, as a leader who listens, knows that your people are lonely, unfulfilled, disconnected, nervous, cautious, anxious, overwhelmed, and you just want to bring them together for a meaningful moment of connection, not me talking at them, but me facilitating them to meet each other in breakout groups, etc. call us. We've got a great track record and we'd, uh, we'd, we'd love to learn. And, and oh, by the way, my, you know, my team's going to hate me for saying this, but we are a, uh, we are a pay-what-you-wish company. Wow. We charge everything from little to a lot. Some companies insist on paying us top dollar. It's uh, the highest facilitation fee you'll ever pay. <laughs> but some companies yeah. come to us and say, you know what? I got $0, but I got 50 employees who are absolutely needing connection right now. Can you come in and do something with us? We might have budget next year for you. We've never said no to that. So reach out if if that applies to you guys, for sure. If I have to donate 10 sessions after this podcast, I don't care. It's the impact. <laughs> this is yeah. the shit, John, that saved my life. Yep. And we do well. We're not in it for the money. We're in it for the fucking impact. And so if this yeah. resonates with you, Call us up. We're happy to donate a virtual gratitude experience to your team, your community, your friends, whatever. It's on us. It's on John. I'll make him pay. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, Chris. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this new book too because I'm excited. You know, looking for people to to not just think of it to, like you said, it is a fluffy little. Oh no, it's it, no. There's <laughs> science. There's there's statistics. There's data around how important this topic is. So thank you again for coming on. I of really course. appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And every for everybody out there listening, hopefully you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did and got some little things to think about. And as I always say at the end of all my podcasts, go out there and make somebody smile today because no matter how bad your day went, if you make somebody smile today, you know you had a good day and the world needs a lot more of that right now. So thank you all very much for listening and I will see you on the other side. Thank you so much for your time today and listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. With your support and our incredible guests, we're one of the top sales podcasts in the industry with over a million downloads and I can't thank you enough. 
to keep the momentum going, if you could go to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a five-star review, I would greatly appreciate it. In return, I will answer any question that you have on Instagram. Hit me up there at John Amazon Michael Barrows with a video question or a DM and I will get right back to you, I promise. And last but not least, if you're looking for training, I'm adjusting my training approach this year and I'm actually gonna be delivering training to the masses. I'll be delivering live training the first and second week of every single month with our two marquee courses, filling the funnel and driving a close to anybody who wants to join. And it includes membership in our on-demand platform with weekly AMAs. So you can go to jbarrows.com open to check out the details. Thanks again and have a great day.